You may be seated. Bibles in John chapter 16. And we're picking it up where we left off last week, which is in verse 16, as we are venturing along here now, looking at this um, discourse of Jesus with his disciples. And what we're going to be seeing here in this chapter is this common theme emerging, a theme of confusion. That's not totally the theme we're going to be looking at. Ultimately, we're going to be looking at this great theme of joy that is coming up here in this passage many times. Isn't joy wonderful? Is there anybody here that does not like joy? And if there's, I mean, hopefully joy's not, there's a person in our church named Joy. And there are, you're all thinking, that's so mean, Pastor. Why would you do that? No. Joy. We, we love joy. There's nobody that I think would say, I, I could use a little less joy in my life, right? I don't think there's anybody here that would be saying that. We, we desire joy. We love joy. And Jesus wants us to have joy. Not just joy, but joy that is full, joy that remains. And, and that's been a common theme already in his discourse and teaching with his disciples here, isn't it? And we're going to see that continue to emerge in here. But the way that that joy comes, the means that Jesus uses to accomplish that joy might seem a little unorthodox to some. Because what Jesus is going to be looking at here in this passage and addressing is he's going to reveal this joy is really produced and comes about through sometimes pain and sorrow. Joy is oftentimes birthed out of difficulty and hardship. But these things are things that produce a joy that remains. It's not a joy that's dependent on your circumstances, right? As many people live today. Because a lot of people can find themselves on this emotional roller coaster where joy is being linked to the things that they are experiencing, the circumstances that they might be in or under. And joy oftentimes is, is up and down, right? One minute you're just enjoying something, the next minute it's like, oh, this bubble tea is like the best thing I've ever had. Oh, and also you're like, wait a second, how come there's so few pearls in this thing? I need more pearls. This isn't right that they judge me off here. And suddenly you're like one minute going, oh, it's so good to the next, like, oh man, my life is falling apart. I don't have enough pearls in my bubble tea. Maybe that's just me. But um, so our joy oftentimes gets very connected to the things that we're going through. But Jesus wants us to know and experience a joy that's beyond all of these external circumstances. That's something that's found in him and through him. He wants to produce in us a joy that is lasting, a joy that remains. In fact, even just uh, in chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus said, uh, again, in this, in this discourse that's been continuing on through these chapters that we've been looking at, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So that's my prayer here for us today, that our joy is made full here today as we look at these things that Jesus is speaking, uh, speaking to us about. And so we're going to look at some of these qualities of this joy here in the rest of this chapter. From verse 16 on to verse 33, the qualities of this joy. We're going to be looking at that this joy is revealed in a time of sorrow. This joy is resistant to thieves. This joy is refreshed in a reconciled relationship. And lastly, this joy is rooted in Jesus' victory. 
All right. So these are the things that we're going to be breaking down, looking at here a little more closely. So let's look at this first one. This joy is revealed in a time of sorrow. Look at verse 16. A little while, and this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the father. Now this can sound a little confusing to us as we read through it. It's as though, what, what is Jesus talking about? Is he playing a little game of peekaboo with his disciples? Hey, you're not going to see me. And then boo, you're going to see me again. Is he playing a game of hide and seek with his disciples? What is, what is he getting at here? Why is he speaking in these terms? What is this meaning? How is this being played out? Well, what Jesus is talking about by saying, in a bit, you won't see me. And then again, in a little while, you will see me. What is he talking about? Well, his disciples had a hard time enough, a hard enough time trying to grasp what he was saying with just the simple stuff. This is surely going right over their heads. So what is Jesus referring to here? It's important for us again to remember the context of what's going on. All right, if you haven't been with us in our study through John here and in the last few weeks and looking at this context here, what we're seeing here is Jesus at the point where he's just hours away from going to the cross. He's had his upper room meeting with his disciples. He's had that last supper with them and now they make in their way to the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is pouring out his heart to them and he's kind of re- letting them know the things that are coming. And, and in the, the, the greatest hour of his life, the most pressing things that Jesus is coming to, here's Jesus pouring out his heart to his disciples. Not saying, guys, you need to take care of me. Guys, I'm going through a really hard time. You need to pray. Jesus is saying, I want you guys to know joy. I want you guys to know what it's like to live in me and the blessing you have in me. Jesus is pouring out his heart to his disciples here. So what Jesus is speaking of here, as he's approaching the cross just hours away, he's saying, listen, You're going to see me, but then you're not because I'm going to be placed on a cross or I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die and they're going to place me in a tomb. You will not see me then. But he says, you won't see me and then you will see me because Jesus is going to rise again from the dead triumphantly and he's going to reappear to his disciples and to the followers of Christ. Jesus is going to make himself known again where he's going to reveal and show that death is not the end. So this is what Jesus is speaking about here. It had a near implication by Jesus going to the cross and dying, being taken away from his disciples when he's placed in a tomb. But then in just a few short days, he's going to rise again and show himself to them. So it has a near implication, but it also has, I believe, a a, a further future implication. Because as he appears to his disciples again, and he spends those 40 days in that post-resurrection time with his disciples, well, there'll be another time when he's going to be taken away from them, when he's going to ascend to the Father. And they're going to see Jesus leave there on the Mount of Olives and be taken up to heaven with the Father. So Jesus will be taken away. But guess what? He's coming back again. Now, we might look at that and go, well, yeah, sure. But that's been 2,000 years in the making. That's not just a little while. Well, with the Lord, a day is like a 1,000 years. A 1,000 years is like a day. To the Lord, he could easily say, in a little while, you're going to see me. Because I'm going to come back again. Triumphantly. In the second coming of Christ, when he comes back to this world. Bodily, personally. So, you'll see me, and then you won't. But then in a little bit, you will see me again. He's looking to 
pour into his disciples and, and encourage them in these things. But like I said, this stuff that Jesus is speaking to his disciples, I mean, it's just going right over their heads. They're not, they're not getting this, right? As most things that Jesus said, I mean, most things that Jesus said, his disciples are all like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Somebody help me out with this here. Just like how I spent most of my high school years. What is this guy talking about? I don't get anything that he's talking about here. So his disciples were like that. Look at what Jesus says in verse 18. Or sorry, what the disciples said. Verse 18, they said, therefore, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he is saying. Now, Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. So here's the disciples now. They're all huddled around each other, right? They're all like talking to one another. What is Jesus talking about here? I have no idea. Somebody fill, fill me in because I have, what is this idea about you, you, you won't see me and then you will see me? We're not getting it. But then here's Jesus, right? He knows exactly what they're doing. He knows exactly what they're struggling with, what they're going through. And he's like, hey guys, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about over there? You guys having a hard time with what I'm sharing with you? And I'm sure the disciples are like, oh, no, no, we, no, no, we're, we're, I mean, Peter, he's not getting it. Yeah, maybe, Jesus, why don't you explain to Peter here? Okay. Yeah, why don't you tell us again what you mean, just so Peter can maybe, pay. I mean, I'm sure they're all kind of like trying to, you know, call one another out on this. But understand this, you know, I love this. It says that Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. You see, they're trying to keep this private, but Jesus knows what they're going through. He knows their struggles. He knows their thoughts, their feelings. Do you understand that nothing is hidden from the Lord? That God knows exactly what you're going through, what you're wrestling through, what you're struggling with. Sometimes we think, oh, no, no, I, 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 can't, I can't take this to the Lord. He's just not going to really understand why I'm struggling with this. Listen, God already knows. And guess what? He's inviting you to come and lay it to him and bring it to him because he's the only source of our help. He's the only way that we're going to get through those struggles and those problems and predicaments that we might find ourselves in. And he's calling us to bring those things to him. It says in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. God cares for you. And he already knows what you're going through. And he's calling out to say, come and lay that at my feet. Jesus calls out to the disciples so they might take that initiative and say, yeah, Jesus, we're, we're not getting it. We need some clarity. We need your help in these things. Because the Lord desires to do that. He wants you to come and bring those struggles and those burdens and place at his feet. He already knows and he's inviting you to come and and just lay it all out in the open. Because then when it's laid out in the open, when we come to him with our heart to say, I need you, that's when he's able to come and minister in that situation. Aren't you glad for that? So he knows what they're desiring, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, but... Now, instead of just telling the the disciples exactly what they would be expecting and how this would all shake down for them, Jesus tells them that there's going to be a time of sorrow. He he doesn't fill in the whole picture and say, hey, guys, yeah, I'm going to die and and rise again and and it's going to be all great. He says, listen, you're going to go through a time of sorrow. He's very real, very genuine with them. You're going to go through a time of sorrow, but it's going to be turned into joy. He doesn't really explain fully how that's going to happen. And, and most likely if he did, they wouldn't get it. Sometimes, you know, the Lord doesn't fill in the whole picture for us. Because oftentimes we wouldn't understand exactly how the Lord is going to take us from point A and bring us to point B. 
Sometimes he just gives us that next step to take without filling in the rest of the details. Sometimes if he did, I think we would just panic. We'd be like, hold on, you're going to do all this? I don't know if I can handle that. And the Lord would say, yeah, exactly. That's why I'm not revealing it to you right now. But just trust me. Sometimes he just fills us in step by step. As we walk by faith and we see the Lord at work, then he begins to reveal a little bit by little bit to where suddenly we find ourselves at point B and we're like, oh my goodness, Lord, look at what you've done here. You brought me from here to here. What an exciting thing. If you had, had told me how this is all going to shake down, I don't know if I would have even stepped out in faith. But now I see what you're doing. And the Lord desires to do that work here and causing us just to step out in faith, to trust him every step of the way because he's got good plans in store for his people here. So Jesus says in, in, in verse 20, most assuredly, just kind of lets them know what they're going to face here. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. See, the disciples are going to go through time of grief, but it's going to be accomplishing something so wonderful. See, the, the Lord has a wonderful way of just reversing things. Maybe you've experienced that in your own life where you see something happening and you think, what good can possibly come out of this? And yet suddenly the Lord just steps in and he reverses it and he brings something so wonderful out of it that you're like, I, I did not see that coming. That was, that was a total plot twist, God. That was so cool what you just did. I did not see how anything good could come out of this. And yet, but yet that's what we've been promised in Romans 8.28. That God works all things together for the good to those that love him and are called according to the purposes of God. So the Lord's at work in desiring to bring about good even out of the midst of sorrow or difficulty. And so that's what he's saying to the disciples here. Man, you're going to weep and lament. But the world's going to rejoice. But your sorrow's going to be turned around. It's going to be reversed into joy. See, when Jesus is hung on the cross where he's executed there on the cross, the world and, and the devil that's leading the world, the world's going to be rejoicing. They're going to think, this is, our, this is our victory party. Now we've finally done it. That's it. We've we fulfilled this, this purpose of just silencing this and, and, and shutting down this light that's been shining in our lives and making things very uncomfortable for us. They're going to, it's going to be like their, their victory party. They're going to be rejoicing, but it's not going to last. Neither will the, sor- the sorrow of the disciples last because Jesus is going to do something epic out of this. He's going to rise from the dead and it'll bring great joy for the followers of Jesus. Always know that the Lord is able to work through your pain and difficulty and tragedies and bring something wonderful out of it. That's what the Lord illustrates for us next in this very natural Example, look at the next verse, verse 21. A woman, when she's in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. See, for those of you that have experienced this, being in a delivery room is not a very pleasant experience. Can I get a few amens here? I've done it six times. Four of, them, four of them were for my own kids. Two of them were just in random delivery rooms because I wanted to see if their experience was as tragic as mine. 
just wanted to see and compare. Is this really what goes on in everybody's situation? It, it, it was. It's not a very pleasant ordeal. It's an intense time is what I've observed. There's a lot of pain, uh, a lot of sorrow, a lot of screaming, a lot of blaming that goes on, right? Where the one's like, this is your fault. You've done this to me, right? I mean, they, they skip right over talk of vasectomy to go right to castration. It's just, it skips a beat there. It's like, wait a second, how do we get to there? This is bad. This is tough, right? And so that's oftentimes the, the worry, you know, that goes on. I was, uh, I'm glad Nurtaj is having labor right now and didn't have to sit through the sermon because then she probably would have been thinking, what Daniel have you gotten me into? But they'll find out soon enough here. Keep them in prayer. But you see, here the Lord now is, is saying, listen, there's something good that I accomplish out of pain that only, only God can do. Notice this, what he says there, verse 21. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. No matter what you just went through for those last eight to 24 hours, three months to nine months, whatever it is for you. Some of you have gone through a long period of, of hardship having a child here, but you just turn into mush when that baby comes. I remember the first time, man, I was just weeping, right? Mostly for the way that my wife was treating me through the delivery, but the other kids were genuine joys, uh, tears of joy that came out. It was, you know, something so beautiful and sweet. But you see, when you're in the midst of it, it's hard to even kind of get past it and to think, what is this all about? I remember, I mean, our, our first one, you know, my wife was just like, I don't know if I can do this again. It was heavy. It was. It was hard. I mean, I was passed out with the gas most of the time, but it was, from what I heard, pretty intense. But she's like, I don't know if I can do this again. Three kids later, right? I mean, you begin to see the joy that they bring, the blessing that God ultimately has through all of that. And, and, you, and you persevere, you move on, you continue on because you see the blessing that comes out of the midst of chaos here. See, it's a great illustration that, that Jesus gives us here because we may not understand all things all the time, but when we understand the heart of God, we understand that he has plans to bless. That's the heart of God, isn't it? He wants to bless. And sometimes those blessings and joys need to be delivered out of pain and sorrow. And, and that's what's going to happen with his disciples. It's what we've often experienced just through natural illustrations of life. We've seen that, God, you, you've reversed this. What was originally something that was great hardship and difficulty and pain, Lord, you've, you've reversed it into a real blessing. Because that's the heart of God, isn't it? To bless his people. And to turn things around for good and for our joy. Well, we've seen how this joy is, first of all, revealed in a time of sorrow. Now we look at how this joy is resistant to thieves. Look at verse 22. And here we read there, therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. See, Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for what was about to take place. And they had a hard time comprehending anything about Jesus having to suffer, let alone die. This, was, this didn't fit their picture of what the Messiah was going to do. They're thinking, our Messiah is coming to deliver us, to lead us into this new era of the kingdom. What do you mean you're going to die? This, this doesn't fit with our, our plan and our agenda, the Messiah. So anytime he talked about dying, suffering, 
I think they just kind of tuned it out. They're like, no, that can't be. You're the one, Jesus. You're the Messiah. Remember the two that were on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection? They're still processing all these things. They're still having a hard time with everything that's gone down. And yet Jesus came and began to walk with them and reveal himself to them. It's so incredible. Luke 24, 17 says, And he, Jesus, said to them, Hey, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk, and notice this, and are sad? These two disciples, followers of Jesus, were saddened over all that they've experienced so far. Just as Jesus said, you're going to have sorrow, right? Reading on in Luke 24, it says, Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. It says there in verse 21 of Luke 24, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today's the third day since these things happened. What do you see with these disciples as they're walking along the road? Well, They're sad, sad hearts, and hope was lost. We were hoping that he was the one. They're speaking from a point of view like, well, hope is lost. Sad hearts, hope is lost. There was none of this joy that Jesus was speaking of. But this joy was linked to Jesus. So Jesus says here, back in, in, in John 16, 24, he says, I will see you again and then your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. See, when Jesus comes in and reveals himself to them, suddenly what happens? Boom, joy. Everything that they just experienced is, is now forgotten. These two on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus revealed himself in the breaking of the bread, suddenly it's like, whoa, they got it. You think those guys were excited? You think they're sitting back on? Oh, that was cool, but yeah, well, what are we going to do next? So they're like, no, man, he's alive. That's the one. We're not our hearts burning within us, they said. As he was speaking to us and communicating through the scriptures about him. Our hearts were burning. Like, he's, oh, suddenly they're filled with joy. When Jesus came to the disciples and reappeared after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, suddenly now they see him. And they're full of joy once again. Just as with having a baby. After the baby is born. It's not as if the pain of pregnancy is forgotten. It's just that it no longer matters. Because something better has come. That's the, the illustration. The nine months of agony become a distant memory. After just even this short moment of joy. Joy that lasts. The disciple's sorrow is, is real. But it, it becomes a distant memory. The moment Jesus appears to them. Having conquered death. The question is, are you experiencing this joy today? See, our lack of joy is often connected to us losing sight of Jesus. As soon as Jesus came into the picture, what happened? Their sorrow turned to joy. Our lack of joy is often connected to us losing sight of Jesus. That's why Jesus says, I will see you again. And then... You're going to be glad. Then your heart will rejoice. Are you seeing Jesus today? See, it's going to be the same for us. Whatever you might be going through right now, 
whatever things might be causing grief or sorrow. When we get our eyes on Jesus and, and keep things in perspective that, that he's defeated sin and death, he's given us life, then, then what do we really have to be sorrow over? Sorrow over. Now, I, I don't want to minimize or diminish the grief that we may experience at times. And it's, it's important that we, we mourn and, and, and sorrow over certain things. But I do know that the way that we overcome that grief is by having that fresh view of Jesus. Seeing Jesus. Because that's what he desires to do. I will come. I'm going to see you again. And I want you to see me more clearly in your day-to-day life. When we get a fresh view of Jesus, man, that changes things. It begins to, to take the sorrow and turn it into joy. We need to look unto our Savior. Get your eyes fixed on him and, and what he's done for you because Jesus has won the victory. Nothing can hold us back or keep us down any longer. Nothing can separate us from him. That's why joy cannot be taken from you, Jesus says here. No one, no one will take this joy from you because this joy is based on the eternal one, the omnipotent one, the omnipresent one, the one that desires to reveal himself to you that you might see him more clearly and have life in him. That's where joy is based in and that's where joy becomes lasting by bringing Jesus into the picture. Listen, don't allow thieves to come in and rob you of your joy those thieves, thieves often become, you know, our, our doubts, anxieties, worries, stress, insecurities. And those are all things that come in when we get our eyes off of Jesus. And we begin to get a little fixated upon our own stuff, our own problems. Jesus says, I will see you again and your heart will rejoice. Have you been seeing Jesus regularly in your life? Have you been taking time just to sit and see Jesus, opening up the word of God, hearing from him, taking time in prayer, seeking him. Have you been seeing Jesus regularly in your life? Is your heart rejoicing? Because that's when joy becomes more permanent, when it's based on what Jesus has done for you and who Jesus is to you. So not only do we see that joy is resistant to thieves, but thirdly, this joy is refreshed in a reconciled relationship. Look at verse 23. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name, and you will receive that your joy may be full. So Jesus is revealing that because of the work he's going to do for us, there's going to be a shift now in the way that we approach God. See, in the past, people viewed God as somebody that was really unapproachable. People feared the idea of coming to God. They needed a priest or a mediator to come to God. Remember back in Exodus at Mount Sinai there when Moses is inviting the people to come on, and they're all going, Moses, you go up on the mountain. You hear God, lest we die. If we go up, man, we're not coming back down. They feared God. So people had this idea that, man, I, I'm not... I'm not fit to approach God or to hear from God. I need, a, I need a priest to do that. But yet, Jesus is going to the Father. And because Jesus is going to the Father, we, we don't need to ask Jesus the things we need help with. We can go directly to the Father 
Because we've been given access. And we not only have access, we have confidence now in and through prayer. That whatever we ask in Jesus' name, he will give it to you. That's incredible, isn't it? When you think about it, it's like, what? It's almost too good to be true. But it's important for us to recognize what Jesus means when he says to pray in his name. Because this has been misconstrued. This has been, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago where people have just taken this idea like it's some magical formula. You just pray in the name of Jesus and suddenly everything's going to be granted to you. It's like some, some form is like rubbing the, the bottle of a genie. You just, you know, rub that and you, you pronounce your wish and it's going to happen to you. And, and the more louder you pray it, the more that Jesus is just forcing it, you know, if you use that good southern draw in the name of Jesus, then even more so, Jesus is like, okay, you got me. Yeah, all right, what do you need? I'm giving it to you now. Nothing I can do about it now. I mean, you said that like so wonderfully. And so we've gotten this idea, you know, tell advances and stuff that this name is just this magical formula. That's not what Jesus means when he says to pray in my name. So what does Jesus mean by this? Well, first of all, it means to pray according to his will. See, it's not about getting what we want. It's about seeking what the Lord desires. Saying, I, I want your will to be carried out, Lord, not mine. I'm not praying in the name of Jesus to get what I need. I'm praying in the name of Jesus because then it's in line with your will and what you desire because what you desire is far better than what I think I need. Secondly, praying in the name of Jesus means to pray on the basis of his merit. It's not coming to the Lord based on our merit. Sometimes we think, Lord, I've been really good lately. God, I've been going to church faithfully. I've been reading the Bible. So Lord, just one request that I got. Can you not grant this to me based on how good I... Sometimes we think that way, don't we? We don't come to the Lord based on our merit, but based on Christ's merit. R.A. Torrey said this, So it is when I go to the bank of heaven, when I go to God in prayer. I have nothing deposited there. I have absolutely no credit there. And if I go in my own name, I'll get absolutely nothing. But Jesus Christ has unlimited credit in heaven. And he's granted to me the privilege of of going to the bank with his name on my checks. And when I thus go, my prayers will be honored to any extent. That's going on the, on the merit of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Now, up until now, the disciples hadn't prayed this way. That's why Jesus says, until now, in verse 24, you have asked nothing in my name. That's not Jesus kind of condemning them, saying, hey guys, what's your problem? How come you haven't been? They haven't needed to pray in his name because they've had Jesus with them. They've been walking with Jesus. We need this. Jesus is there to help them with it. But now when Jesus goes to the Father, it's going to change this dynamic of the relationship. Not only is Jesus securing now this, this access to the Father where before sin had separated us from God, and now through Jesus' sacrifice, he has forgiven us, and, and we stand now in the righteousness of Christ. So we have access, so now we can come to God. Through Jesus and in Jesus. And we can ask directly to the Father because of what Jesus has done for us. The disciples hadn't had to do that before, but now. Now they have a a, a different relationship through the work of Jesus Christ. Access to the Father is what we have now where we can ask God directly in the name of Jesus. And it's this that brings that fullness of joy. Because now we know we don't need a mediator. We don't need a a priest. Jesus is there. We stand in the righteousness of Christ. We have access to the Father. 
we, we have this joy increases. We know the privilege of going to God in prayer. And it's a reminder of the restored relationship we have now in and through Jesus. Look at verse 25. These things I've spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language. But I'll tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. Verse 28. I came forth from the Father and I come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Here's another way our joy is made full. When we truly understand the love of the Father, that he has forgiven us, he's redeemed us, he's brought us in his family, he's invited us to come and approach him, he's given us access, and it's all made possible through Jesus Christ. So Jesus says here, listen, I don't need to pray to the Father for you because the Father himself loves you and has accepted you. Now listen, we're talking God, the creator of this whole universe. Nobody in, in all false religions, nobody has this concept of God where God is a God of love and God is a God of grace and invites us in. God is a God to be feared. That you must do good works lest you be judged. Nowhere did anybody have this concept of a God who loves you. Think about that. And Jesus says, you don't need to hide behind me. You don't need to come and and have me pray you can pray yourself to the father directly why because he loves you think about that how sweet is that today how good is that i pray right now your joy is just welling up because you know the privilege and the access we have to an almighty god our heavenly father who loves you man that is reason enough to be full of joy Not only do we have this joy that's refreshed in a restored relationship, but lastly, we have this joy that's rooted in Jesus' victory. Look at verse 29. So his disciples said to him, See, now you're speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. So the disciples begin to claim that now they're really understanding jesus now we know who you really are and that you come from god now we can really put our faith it's as though you know the disciples you know are thinking now jesus we can really give you the full validation and and credentials here now we get it it's almost arrogant of the disciples isn't it right they're like okay now you kind of pass the test jesus now we understand here okay but did they really get it it would seem that jesus is kind of calling them on it next here look at verse 31 Jesus answered them, do you now believe? And there's a hint of sarcasm in this here from Jesus, right? Oh, really? You're now getting it, eh? Now you got all together, huh? Do you? Look at what he says here, verse 32. Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come that you'll be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the father is with me. Jesus lets his disciples know here. Listen, guys, you got it. Eh? You think you got it? There's still room for you to grow. Your faith is still not complete. Why? Because Jesus says, when things get really tough in that moment, in that darkest hour of my life, when people are coming to arrest me, you're going to scatter. 
And Jesus is alluding to even a, a prophetic passage in Zechariah 13, verse 7 that says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He's alluding to that to say, listen, you guys are going you're gonna, to you're gonna flee at the most difficult hour. You're going to leave me alone. But notice what Jesus says here. But I'm not alone because the Father is with me. Even though the disciples might flee, Jesus says, you've got room to grow. You haven't arrived yet. It's same for us, isn't it? No, we never arrive, right? I mean, the Christian faith is the only one that really begins at the finish line. When Jesus has done the work, but now it's like, okay, now we're moving forward here. We've got a lot of room to grow. We've got a lot of things to continue on and just desire to be more like Christ. We never arrive this side of eternity. We're always students, always learning, always growing, always maturing. That should be our heart and our desire. So Jesus now is saying, listen, I'm not placing my confidence in you guys. My hope is not found in, in you or in people. No, it's wrapped up in the Lord. God's with me. Jesus knew that in that darkest of hours, God was going to be at his side. Do you know that reality for yourself today? Do you live with that kind of confidence and assurance? See, we can oftentimes put a lot of our our hope in other people. Listen, other people are going to let you down. We need to be sure that our hope and our security is wrapped up in God. Notice what Hebrews 13 verse 5 to 6 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can men... What can man do to me? That's a good promise for us here today. Because people are going to let you down. People are not who we put our hope in. People are not who we put our, our, our reason for joy in. No, it's found in, in the Lord who's always with us. He's an ever-present help in the midst of trouble. So Jesus says in the last verse here, verse 33, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. See, even in the, in the disciples' upcoming shortcomings, Jesus wants to communicate to them and give them peace. He doesn't want them to feel condemned. He's not saying, you guys are going to let me down. I can't believe you'd do this to me. I hope you guys feel really, really guilty about this. That's not the Lord. He says, I want you to have peace. In me, you may have peace. See, the world is going to be a trying place. The world is going to trip us up at times. We're, we're going to experience shortcomings. There's going to be sorrow and tribulation in the world. The world is against Jesus. And as we saw in John 15, the world is against the followers of Jesus because they hate Jesus. So they're going to hate you. Jesus made that clear. It's going to be full of trials. In the world. The world is not the place or the source of our joy or our peace. But in Jesus, we can have peace. Why? Because Jesus says, I've overcome the world. The world no longer has anything on you. Nothing against you. Though the world wants to accuse you, attack you, or be angry with you, Jesus says, cheer up, because I've defeated it. Cheer up, because I've overcome the world. And no matter what the world throws at you, that's not who you are. That's not what you have. I've overcome all that. 
find your joy in me. The lack of joy in the world, and you look at people in the world today, there's, there's not a lot of joy because their, their joy is superficial. It's not based on that which is lasting. And the reason there's not a lot of joy in the world is because they don't have that peace with God. That's what they're lacking. The only way to have joy and lasting joy is to have peace with God restored. And that's what Jesus did by going to the cross. Listen, it may have brought sorrow temporarily. As people witnessed, the followers of Jesus saw that happen thinking, that's it. It's been a good ride, but oh man, it's all crashing down right now. Jesus says, you may have sorrow temporarily, but because of what I'm doing for you, you're going to have joy ultimately. And it's going to be joy unspeakable and full of glory. It will be fullness of joy, joy that lasts. That's what Jesus has for each and every one of us today. As we seek him, as we place our eyes on him, as we put our confidence in what Jesus has done for you. Listen, if you're here today, and maybe you don't know this joy, or maybe you haven't been experiencing this peace that the Lord says he has for us. Listen, that comes about only through a right relationship with God. And that relationship with God doesn't come about by your good works. It comes about by what Jesus has done for us and us putting our trust and our faith in him. As you've heard today, Jesus came to this world to die on a cross. And in so dying on a cross, he was paying the penalty for your sin, for my sin, for the sin of this world. And that whoever puts their trust now in Jesus and the work he did for you can be forgiven of sin and brought into a right relationship with God. Where you're given new life and life eternally. It's a free gift of God. It's not by your works. It's not by you earning it. It's by you simply putting your faith in Jesus and what he's done. That's grace. And this is the free gift that God has for you. If you're here today and you haven't applied that to yourself, you haven't put your trust in Jesus as your savior, as the only one that can save you of your sin and bring you into a right relationship with God, I encourage you, do that today. All it takes is you saying, Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner and I'm lost without you. And I, I want to turn away from my sin and I want to turn to you in trust and faith. And I want to receive that peace, that joy, that you have for me, that forgiveness of sin. Pray that today. And you become a child of God. You become a, 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 a child of God that is now forgiven and given eternal life. That's a blessing today. Don't leave here today without receiving that for yourself. And maybe you're here today and you've been lacking in joy just as a believer. Maybe you've gotten your eyes off of Jesus. Today's the day to Turn things around to say, Jesus, I need you. I want to get that, that fresh view of you here today. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And we're going to just close our time here with just a time of worship. And just this is an opportunity just to wait on the Lord and just to, to do business with God, to take these things to him. Here's some things that we can consider here today through this passage. First of all, God doesn't always take away the thing that has caused pain and replace it with something that brings joy. It's not substitution, but transformation as he brings joy out of that which once caused pain. Allow him to do that today. Secondly, this joy is not often realized unless we go to the Father in confidence, praying in the name of Jesus. 
God loves us and we've been reconciled to him through the work of Jesus. The work on the cross. Thirdly, our peace and joy is not dependent on the things of the world. Our peace and joy is based on Jesus who has defeated all that would or could rob us of joy. I love what Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. What does morning speak of? Morning speaks of just the the dawning of the light of the day and how we need to look to Jesus, the light of the world. And you may have been experiencing a a, a period, a, a night of mourning. But Jesus has joy for you today as we look to him. As we allow his light and love to shine into our hearts here today. Let's allow him to do that. Let's take these things to the Lord and let's stand together. And I'm going to have our our prayer teams make themselves available in the front. And we're here to pray for you. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, yeah, I'm in that place where I've been lacking this joy. And I want to see joy renewed. I want to see joy that is lasting come into my heart. That comes as we get that fresh view of Jesus. And maybe you just need to come alongside someone and ask them to pray for you. Because when you do that, you're taking that measure of faith that's saying, I'm stepping out of my comfort zone and I'm coming to do business. I want God to do this work in my life. Maybe there's things you've been going through that's been joy robbers that you just are asking the Lord to help you through. Just come and receive prayer for that. Let's seek the Lord here today.